All right, we're going to be in John 1, 20 through wherever we make it. Hopefully through 27. Pray for me. Pray for me that we'll make it there. Uh, so let's just start off uh, by just letting y'all know I'm thankful for Jesus today. I was thankful for him yesterday, and I'll be thankful for him again tomorrow. But I just, I just felt that as I was praying before service, just, just really, just thankful for his mercy and his loving kindness and what he's brought me out of and what he's brought me into. And it's just, a, it's a really beautiful thing, beautiful place to be. So I'm going to pray, um, and then uh, I'm going to read the the verses. I'll read them from three different translations. Um, and then we'll break them down uh, verse by verse. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the opportunity again to come and study your word, Lord. Um, Lord, I thank you that there are many others out there that don't have this opportunity. Uh, we thank you that, that we can receive this word without a threat of jail time or death, Lord. Um, I thank you uh, for the longevity of the word, the truth of the word that will be spoken tonight. And that we can challenge everything that's said with your word, Lord. And everything that is true, Lord, I pray that it just goes deep down inside of their spirit. That the seed will be planted. That the seed will be watered. It will, it will grow and it will bring forth fruit of deeper revelational knowledge of who that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So John answered them directly, saying, I am not the Messiah. Then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, John replied. So they pressed him further, are you the prophet Moses said was coming, the one we're expecting? No, he replied. Then who are you? They demanded, we need an answer for those who sent us. Tell us something about yourself, anything. So John answered them, I am fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. I am an urgent thundering voice shouting in the desert, clear the way and prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord Yahweh. Then some members of the religious sect known as the Pharisees questioned John. Why do you baptize the people since you admit you're not the Christ, Elijah, or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize in this river, but the one who will take my place is to be more honored than I. But even when he stands among you, you will not recognize or embrace him. I am not worthy enough to stoop down in front of him and untie his sandals." As the passion, I'm going to read the New King James, and then we'll finish up on another one. He confessed, and they did not deny, but confessed, I am the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophets? And he answered, No. They said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked Him saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is He who coming after Me is preferred before Me, whose sandal straps I am unworthy to loose. And he made a declaration and did not deny and declared, As for myself, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? As for you, Elijah are you? And he says, I am not. The prophet are you? And he answered, No. 
They said to him, Who are you? In order that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say concerning yourself? He said, As for myself, I am a voice of one crying in the uninhabited region. Make straight the Lord's road, even as the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet said. And those who were sent off on the mission were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing since you are not the Christ, nor even Elijah, nor even the prophet? John answered them saying, As for myself, I am baptizing by means of water. In your midst there stands he whom you are not knowing. He who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to unloose. So Jesus, we just thank You again, Lord, for the reading of Your Word, Lord. We thank You that we have the ability to, to read it and to discern it and to understand it in so many different translations that we've been so blessed to have broken down by other individuals so that we may gain a deeper understanding of who that You truly are and what You're trying to say to us through these texts, Lord. I pray that You would just bless us tonight with Your Spirit of wisdom and Your Spirit of truth and let it fall and reign in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Here we go. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It's important for us to realize that he's he's acknowledging that he was not Christ. He was not Elijah. He was not anyone else who had lived in the past. He was the natural son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He wanted to make sure that if you believe the way it's written, which I do, uh, he overly confessed. I am not someone great. But what he's really saying is, I'm not someone that you perceive to be great. I am who I am. I am who I'm supposed to be in this moment, in this time, for this purpose, and this is why I'm here and nothing else. And I think that uh, specifically in today's uh, time for this generation um, of, of the church that we're in, this is a, a, a very powerful message that needs to be taught, needs to be preached, um, needs to be declared that it's okay that you are who you are. You don't need to pretend to be somebody else. You don't need to walk in their identity. You need to walk in your own. And that is one thing that John, John the Baptist, John Yochanan the Immerser, was very openly saying, I am not this person. I am not that person. I am just a voice. I'm just one that's, that's here to fulfill prophecy. And that's all of us. We're here, we're here to fulfill prophecy in some way, shape, or form. There is a prophetic declaration in the Old or New Testament that every one of us is fulfilling when we walk with Christ fully. When we... Uh, live a life consecrated unto the Lord, we are fulfilling prophecy because He prophesied that there would be those that would come after Him. He prophesied that those that would walk as He walked. He prophesied. When, when He said, pick up your cross and follow Me, that was a prophetic word of Him believing and knowing that there were those that would do it. So when we do it, we're fulfilling prophecy, much like John the Baptist is fulfilling prophecy here. 
Um, he didn't need to be to pretend to be someone else. He was himself. He was what God needed in this season. He was there to do what he was supposed to do. He was not proclaiming to be anything great, um, even though clearly Jesus later on says that John the Baptist was Elijah, that he was that that resurrected version of him. But again, that language is not that he he was actually Elijah. He was talking about the spirit of Elijah. He was talking about the spirit of the prophet. And it's important to understand that a prophet in itself that are still around today, they don't come to do what somebody else has already done. Uh, when you study, If you study the prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets of the New Testament, they never did anything that somebody else had already done. They came to do a new thing. Now, it wasn't new like we'd never heard of. It had already been prophesied that it was going to come to pass, but they come to fulfill the prophecy and be a prophet to give the next declaration of what was to come, what was going to happen next. And then there's others that fill those prophecies as we grow in the Lord. And so, John was Elijah in spirit. Um, he, he was... Um, the power, the same power that was on Elijah was on him because it's the same God. And again, it's just so important to teach this from an identity standpoint, this specific, just 120. I could probably spend a month right here just talking about identity and how that we don't need to pretend to be somebody else, but that we need to realize that you know, we, we hear about the Billy Grahams and the Catherine Coleman's and the Reinhard Bonkies and, and names go on and on. Others that I probably don't even know that some of you all know. We need to honor those and we need to glean from their lives, but not to become them, but to become better than what they were. Um, John, Elijah came to do what he came to do, but Elijah or, or John came after Elijah to be there to baptize Christ. There was something greater about John's life even though he did less that we know of. Elijah is one of the, most, the, the greatest prophets in the Bible according to literature and what we can actually read and discern, but how much do we not know? And I, I always love the, what I call the great unknowns. And at some point, I know the Lord wants me to write a book um, on the great unknowns. Uh, those that have done great, mighty things for God that nobody ever knew, that nobody ever heard about. They weren't the famous people um, on the platforms, the well-knowns. They were the unknowns that were doing just greater things and some probably even greater. Um, my, my spiritual father, he speaks often of a man. He said there was one man that he, he esteems higher than any other than he's ever met in ministry. And he told me that this man, what the Lord told him to do was to go out into the desert and raise up a handful of sons and daughters. And this man went out into the desert and that's all that he did. He only raised up X amount of sons and daughters and died. He never planted a great work. He never had a huge church. He never was well known. He didn't he don't have all these books written about him. But he was one man that, that my spiritual father knows that stayed completely true to what God told him to do and did nothing but what God told him to do. 
And I think that's so important because we have we have this that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We're really talking heavily about John the Baptist. We haven't even got into Jesus a lot yet, which we'll get in in the weeks to come. But we're we're it, and I think it's so amazing that that we have to recognize and understand, and everyone in this room has to agree with this statement. Otherwise, you're probably not saved. That this is the inspired truth of God. That, that He has ordained, that He has said it was okay, that He has said this is all true. Everything written between here, these two lids, is 100% truth. There are more truths out there that are not written, but this is 100% truth. And so when we recognize that, we recognize that the Father thought a lot about John the Baptist. He loved him very dearly. He, he allowed in my opinion, one of the, the most, if not the most important book in the Bible to start off with talking about Him, with introducing Him. It, it does talk about Jesus right in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. But it, it, it starts to break down who John the Baptist is. What was his purpose? Why was he here? And we need to hear that because this is a man that was despised in his time. This was a man that they did not like. This was a man that most would have deemed crazy. They, they, they believed in modern, modern language, he would have been a cult leader. He would have been the cult leader of the day if he was in America doing what he was doing now. If, John the, if there's another John the Baptist that comes, if the second coming of Elijah comes the way John the Baptist did to reveal the second coming of Christ, then we're going to have people that are going to label him a cult leader. They're going to despise him. They're going to say, stay away from. They're going to say, don't connect with. They're going to say, he is wrong. And they did this with John the Baptist. They did this with Jesus. They did this with so many others. But it's important to understand that we need to hold fast to what God has told us to do individually. You need to know what God has said for you to do. And unfortunately, um, in the world that we live in, because of internet, you're going to have to unlearn some things. Because you've had a lot of leaders and a lot of voices in your life that have tried to tell you who you are, that probably most of you all, what God has told you to do has been buried beneath those voices, and you now have to undig it. You now have to come and figure it out because... Most of us live confused for a very long time because of the confusing voices that the enemy throws our way that seem to be doing God justice, but in fact are coming against Him in certain ways and they don't even know it. And so, I'm spending a lot of time on 20 because it's just so important. It's so important to realize it's okay for you to do what God told you to do. It's okay for you to be who you are. You don't have to get around somebody else and become them. You need to get around somebody else to become the better version of you to walk out what God has told you to walk out, but not to become them. There will be characteristics of their life that will get on you, but that has to be the characteristics, not the uncharacteristics. You need to get things on your life that develop your character is what I'm trying to say. Anointing and gifting is amazing, and it will get you through many doors, but character is the only thing that will see you to stay in that door. If the character's not there, you'll be driven out. You'll destroy relationships. You'll break bridges. And you'll destroy people along the way. Character's the only thing that builds up people forever. When you have character on your life, it will continually build up people and build up people. 
where there is a lack of character and heavy anointing and gifting, there will be destruction of people. Because when we rely too much on the anointing and the gifting, where there is not character, it becomes more about us and it becomes idolatrous in nature and then destroys. 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So the word I want to talk about, mostly what I do is I go through and I break down individual words. I just tried to break down a lot of 20 and we took forever. If I do this on all of them, we'll get to 21 and that'll be it. So I want to talk about the word prophet. And it's important. Um, this is not your normal Bible study that some of you are used to coming to. Um, I want to help you understand how I study the word. Not that it's the best way, not that it's the only way, but it's a new way that maybe you've never heard. I like to take each verse and break down each word. Now you all skip over and, I don't. What does it mean? Why is it there? What's the purpose? What does it mean in the Hebrew and the Greek? Why did he say and? Was there another word he could have used but decided not to? Why did he use this word? And I break down each individual word all throughout one verse. Notebooks full of words just to better understand a verse, to better understand a chapter, to better understand a book, to better understand Him. And so the word I want to talk about in this one is prophet. Jesus, when it says, are you the prophet? They're, they're talking about the prophet that Moses talked about. They're talking about the one that Moses prophesied about being a prophet, prophesying about another prophet. Remember me talking about that just a second ago? There are prophets that are going to prophesy about other prophets that are going to fulfill the prophecy and they become a prophet by fulfilling the prophecy and give more prophecy for prophets to come in and fulfill those. So he says, are you the prophet? Doesn't say, are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet. I am a prophet. But they didn't ask him this. See, it's important the questions that you ask. But they want to know, are you the prophet? Jesus is the prophet talked about here. It's also what's talked about in Deuteronomy 18.15 and Acts 3.22. John was a prophet, but not the prophet. He was not Jesus. He was, they're really asking Him a lot of the same things. Are you Elijah? Are you, are you the, the second coming? Or should we look for another coming that, that's going to happen? Uh, or are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? So they're saying, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? They're saying, are you Christ? Are you Christ? They're trying to get him to trip up and say he's somebody that he's not so they can persecute him and kill him. Which they find ways to do that anyways. So 22. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Again, they're trying to catch him. They're trying to catch him on something. You're going to experience this. You've got to understand the wilderness gatherings, awakened ministry, the sharp sickle, we're here for one reason. One reason, one reason only. To give you permission to fall more in love with Jesus and become a danger to the religious society that exists. To challenge them. To make them come and, and demand of you. Who are you? What are you doing here? What is your purpose? 
Basically what they're saying is, how can we get dirt against you so that we can get rid of you? Because you're causing waves. You're causing waves for what we've been doing for decades. This is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day, they were upset with John the Baptist, they were upset with Jesus. Because He was upsetting the way they were doing things. The way that they were trying to teach people that things were right, all while living in sin, to grow their own kingdom, to become great in themselves, so the people would fear them. So they come. Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? What are they saying? What can we label you as? We need to give you a label because as soon as we can label you, we can better understand you and then we can control you. We can stop what you're trying to do. Don't believe me, I'll show you in a minute. He said, I am, this is 23, He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. So they're asking, who are you so that we can give an answer? He says, I ain't giving you an answer. I'm going to give you Scripture. So then you can't pin anything on me because all I did was repeat what you already know. So you think that I'm saying I am the voice? I could just say, well, I didn't say I am the voice. I just quoted to you exactly what Isaiah said. That there was a voice coming. I am the voice of one crying alone in the wilderness. So this is a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 43. Not 43, 40 verse 3. 24. We're going to get into some meat in a minute, I promise. These are just pretty self-explanatory but have to be talked about a little bit. And it said, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. So what are the Pharisees? What are they talking about? It's a pretty short verse. But it's in here for a reason. When God ordained the writing of this book, this chapter, this verse, He said, this is important. They need to understand what sect they came from. Because... Not all Pharisees were bad, but most of them were. We have Nicodemus. We have others that are mentioned of the Pharisees and Sadducees group that, that were decent. They, they, they believed in Christ. They understood that Jesus was the Messiah. But overall, bad. Overall, trying to be destructive of the move of God that was trying to take place even in this time. And if you study your Bible enough, you're going to realize that it repeats itself. All the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, it's a repetitious thing that continually comes around. When Moses came to release the Israels, there were those that persecuted him. There were those that came against him. Even some of his own people did not agree with him. We don't see some of it until he gets in the wilderness with him. It's the same thing with Jesus. They support him in the beginning, and they start to turn against him. And there's another group like the Egyptians that are coming against them, the Pharisees and Sadducees, except they were Jewish. So it's a continual repetitious. And why am I saying this? Because you need to understand that's what's going to happen today. It's going to continue to happen. There's going to be the pharmaceutical mindset and the Sadducee 
that's going to rise up and come against the move of God that's trying to take place. See, everyone wants to cry for revival. Everyone wants a move of God. But what they don't realize is that when it comes, it'll look like nothing that you want it to look like. When a move of God comes, it destroys everything that you've been trying to build and replaces it with what He actually wanted to build. Because you didn't build it in revival, you built it outside of revival. You didn't build it in a move of God, you built it outside of a move of God. So it's flawed in nature. Because you've been taught um, ways to grow things, ways to market things, ways to get people to come in, ways to get them to stay. What kind of groups can I put together? How do we not, let's not preach that scripture because that's offensive. Let's not say it that way. Let's change the language on it so they can better swallow it. I'm thankful Jesus was not that way. So they were sent from the Pharisees. So what does it mean, separated ones? The Pharisaical uh, sect was a separatedness. They, and it, just like everything else, it started off right. It starts off correct. But man gets in the way and starts to change it to better themselves. And so the longer it goes, the more the people following that way are not really to blame until the truth is given to them. See, Nicodemus was without uh, reproach. He was without condemnation. He was without conviction of the way that he was living until the truth was revealed to him on the rooftop with Jesus. And he made the right choice. He stayed within the sect that he was in, but he was working from the inside to change it. There's whole books written on this. And he begins to shift the way he's believing and the way that he's doing things, which begin to shift a group of individuals. Saul of Tarsus thought that he was living the law. He said, I kept the letter of the law until it was revealed to me that I was not keeping the law. He said, basically, I had to become blind in the natural to see in the spiritual how wrong I was. And so we, we have this, this set-apartness, this separatedness, and I'm teaching on, I'm teaching on this this way because... We're in Rome, Georgia. And it's very religious here. See, I'm not just doing a Bible study. I'm trying to raise up some soldiers. And this is the recruitment call to see who wants to really see Rome, Georgia changed. Because we've been a lot of places, and I'm not bragging on me, but when we come into places, people think that I'm the change. When we came into India and we started planting the work there, they said, brother, we're so glad you're here. You're going to change India. And I said, no, I'm not. You are. You're going to change India. I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to teach you the truth, how to plant this work, how to flow in miracle signs and wonders, how to walk in intimacy with Christ so these things happen and you will be the ones that change it. It's no different here. It's the same process. It's figuring out those that are devoted to change, devoted to maybe we don't have it all figured out. We need to understand and step into more intimacy with Christ because what we've been doing isn't working. So there's got to be more. 
Because most of them don't know. Most of them don't know that the way that they're living, their religious ways, that it's incorrect because it's been lived for so long. I know I came out of the Baptist church. I know how... Um, I'm trying to be nice. I know how wrong it is. Not all of it's wrong because they still have some foundational truths. The Baptist taught me to love the Word. But they told me to stay out of the upper room. Well, that's a problem for me. Because I need the upper room experience. So they don't, the Pharisees of the day don't know that they're wrong. That's why he says, How else will they know unless we tell them? So we have, but what does the word tell me? To live expressively. That doesn't mean you're wild and you're crazy and you're louder than everybody else all the time. That means that your life speaks louder than their words do. John the Baptist's life spoke louder than their words. They could not deny something was going on. This dude looks crazy. He's in the wilderness. He's baptizing outside our ritual laws. But there's something right about it. And I can't put my finger on it. It was a revelatory moment for these. That was one of the most dangerous things that this sect could have done was send someone to go check it out. Because when you come check out a move of God, the move of God will get on you. And then you've got to deal with it when you get home. When you get home with your wife and you're sitting around and going, oh, that just makes me nervous the way them people are living their life. But man, there's something right about it. Let's go back again. You want to go back again? Yeah, but let's not get too close. All right, we'll, we'll sit in the back. We'll sit in the back. And then you, you, sh- you shouting and hollering. You go, man, it, that, I've never seen anything like that. Now I'm doing what I've never seen before. This is what happens in a move of God. It looks different than everything you've ever known. And God's just begging you. Just jump in. Just take the leap. You've already spent 20 years wanting more. So what is the risk if you jump in and it was wrong and you spend three months and you find out that it was? At least you tried. See, I am convinced that God is more looking for those that will try than those that get it right. He's just looking for a group of individuals that will try. People told me that I'm too extreme. Brother, it don't take all that. You just need to calm down some. I promise you, I'm never going to stand in front of Jesus and He's going to say, whoa, you were a little too crazy for me. You tried a little too hard. You were a little too extreme. It didn't take all that. Those are not the words of Jesus. That's the word of man that's afraid that what's on me might get on them and then they're going to look foolish in front of man. So Pharisees, separated ones, considered themselves better than everyone else in that they were closer to God. So they had a right to live however they wanted. They had a right to do whatever they wanted. 25, we'll be here for a minute. Well, brother, we were in that one for a while. You're right. (laughs) And they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So why do they have such a problem with him baptizing? 
He was out in the wilderness and we don't have a reference of them going and asking him, why are you out here eating locusts and honey? They didn't care about that. Because they weren't doing that. It's when you come in and start doing something that they're doing, but you're doing it differently than they want you to do it, then they get mad. Then they get questions. Then they want to try to figure out what's going on. Then they want to start telling people to stay away from you. As long as you're doing something wild and crazy that they're not doing, they don't care. But when you start doing something wild and crazy the way they're doing it, but different, now they got a problem. So it was, it was a Jewish custom. The, the baptismal ritual. The mikvah is what it's called. It's a cleansing ceremony. But they did it to make converts. This was the purpose. You want to be a part of what we're doing, you've got to be converted. You've got to be cleansed because you're dirty, because, not because you're outside Christ, because you've got to understand Christ hasn't died yet. So there is no burial and resurrection yet. You're not a part of our sect, so that means you're dirty, so now we've got to cleanse you so you can become converted to be like us. It's a ritual. It's a religious thing. So why were they so upset about it? Because they could only do it with an order from the Sanhedrin. So it's basically the Sanhedrin was a, a large group of leaders of leaders. It's about the easiest way I can explain it. It's a large group of leaders that overseen all the other leaders. They were elders. They were more important, more dignified. They had more knowledge and more wisdom and probably more sin. Or before the three magistrates or doctors of law, there was... So this is, this is why they were upset. It was jealousy. There was jealousy of John because he was baptizing without Jewish authority. How dare you do this without our backing? Who told you you could do this? See, if I would if I would pick a denomination and get ordained under that denomination and then want to plant a work here, they would all back me under that denomination. But because I refuse to come under a denominational law, but say, let's just love Christ and help others go deeper into Him, there is a coming againstness of what we're trying to do here. Now, it's, it's not openly yet, but it's coming. So they were jealous of John because he's baptizing without Jewish authority, and he was doing it contrary to the practices of the Pharisees. So what does this mean? Why am I saying this? Because John is birthing something that we're still talking about today. That I've talked about ever since we came here and even before that, that I'm trying to deposit into this community, into this city, and into this state. And others are trying to do it all over the United States. I'm not the only one. John said, you did it for conversion to build your kingdom." I'm doing it to birth intimacy to build His. This was the problem. He was not playing into their building of their own kingdom. He said, I come to build His. And the only way His is built is through intimacy. Knowledge and knowing. 
And not even just knowing, but the ability to become because of the sacrifice that He's going to make. 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. You do not know. He's saying, there is one among you that you have failed to embrace. You have failed to come to know intimately. You become too focused on the laws that you forget the reason why the laws were made was to better love Him. You thought that the laws were given for you to uphold and demand upon other people so they would better love you. So that you would be the one they need to come to. So that you would be the answer to their questions. So they couldn't have intimacy with Christ, but you had it so they all needed to come to you. John was saying, I come to give you what they think they have, but they really don't. And he's saying, there's one coming after me who's going to give it to you freely and he's going to pay the price for it. He's going to pay the price for you to step into true intimacy with the Father by believing upon my name when they're telling you in order to receive anything, you must believe upon their name while they uphold the law and be closer to God. But you can't get that close because you're not separated. You're not set apart. John said, I come to tell you that all can be separated. All can be set apart. He was baptizing to usher an intimacy of the one they knew about but did not personally know. A lot of America, you ask them if they're safe. Yes. Do you know Jesus? Yes. They know about Him. But if you knew Him, you wouldn't live the way you live. You wouldn't say the things you say. You wouldn't be a part of the groups that you're a part of. You wouldn't watch the things that you watch. Because it's not even that word, do you know him? That word know is not even. Uh, I think that when we hear it, and even as I'm teaching it, to intimately know, you think it's temporary. It's not temporary, it's every second of every day to know intimately. Intimacy into me I see. What is going on inside of you that his intimacy won't touch? He don't want to touch it. He wants to kill it. He wants it dead. He wants it done with so he can fill the spot that that holds. So they knew about him, but they did not know him. They were trying to uphold some laws in order to, again, build their kingdom, not build his kingdom. 27, it is He who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. So this is where we come into, and I don't have time to explain it all, but this is that, that, that first day mentality versus a third day understanding. 
See, most, and even today, most see Him in this first day mentality as the Savior on the cross that died for my sins. But we fail to see Him as judge with eyes like fire and hair like wool. Some even still recognize Him as a baby or as a man or as the, a part of the Trinity. But not as the resurrected life that has become truth itself and everything that is the Father's now belongs to Him. And if we see Him, we have now seen the Father. John, before Jesus said any of the things that He said later on, John the Baptist had an understanding of a third day mentality. I'm talking about not even... Because we, a lot of us don't even have the understanding of this third day, not even now, because it's not even talking about the eyes like fire and hair like wool. It's talking about in the coming. John seen Him as who He would be when He came back thousands of years later. When He comes back to destroy heaven and earth and after we rule and reign for a thousand years and, and heaven and earth passes away, John the Baptist had an understanding and was visually able to see Jesus then but capture Him in the now. It, it would be similarly to if I knew exactly who Gordon was going to be in 25 years now and I looked at him and honored him and respected him for who he was going to be, not who he was right now. John the Baptist looked into the crowd and said, there is one amongst you. He's seen. He said, I can tell the difference between him and you all because I see him as who he's going to be. Not who he is now, not who you think he's going to be, not even the stuff that he's going to do in the days to come but I see Him in the fulfillment of the Word. And because of that, I'm not even worthy to touch His sandals. And even when Jesus, next week when we get to it, even when Jesus says, baptize me, and John says, you baptize me? Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus has to remind him that He's a prophet. He has to remind him, John, you're a prophet. You have to fulfill prophecy. He said, let it be so for now so we can fulfill prophecy. We have to refuse to be indoctrinated into less when more is available. We have to refuse to believe and allow leaders and individuals in our life to beat us down because we're immature in our walk when they say you just don't have it figured out when they don't have it figured out. Micah chapter 7 says He delights in showing mercy. And when you're immature, you're in more need of mercy than ever before. So because you're in more need of mercy in your immaturity, He delights more in you than He does in them. In maturity, more is required, but in immaturity, there's more mercy. There's more delighting. Paul said, I long that none of you would become teachers of the Word. Because more is required of you. He was saying, it'd be better if y'all just stayed in His delight. Because once you know, now you have a deeper and a bigger target on your back to, in order to enter into His delight. Religion has set us back. 
intimacy will free us from. Intimacy will bring us into Him and out of them. So Jesus, I've done all Noah can do. Again, Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You that everything that's said here today can be challenged with Your Word, can be questioned, can be talked to me about individually. Because I have nothing to hide. I have no agenda other than to manifest You in the way that You have told me to do so. Let this bring forth fruit in our lives, Lord, as we apply it. In Jesus' name, Amen.